are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Ezekiel 36, 22 to 28. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the Sovereign Lord said. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors." You will be my people, and I will be your God. Amen. Thanks, Heather. Well, I have had a fun weekend with our leadership team. We had a first ever in the history of the Y Church, and that was our leadership team, which is our elder board, got away for a 24-hour retreat together. We were at a place that maybe you know of, maybe some of you have stayed there or you've driven by. It's off of Highway 47, north of St. Francis. Pachum in Terrace. It's a Latin name that means peace on earth. And it's a Catholic retreat center that's open to anybody to come and stay. And so there we were in St. Joseph House at Pachum in Terrace. We got to spend time together as a team. You know, half of it is what do the next three to five years look like for our church community? But the other half of it is just relationship building. It was a sweet time just sharing stories playing a great dice game that Megan taught to us. Quicks? Quicks. That was great. And as you spend time together with friends, you get to know what is it that makes somebody else's heart happy. And so some of the things that I jotted down were running, which for maybe some of us is hard to understand, but some people, their heart is happy when they're running, and even running a a marathon. Another person said woodworking. Woodworking is that sweet spot. Another person shared about bow hunting or downhill skiing or just being with family. Just a few of the examples from our leadership team. And I bet that you're able to pretty readily name some things around the table. What is it that makes your heart happy? Hopefully you didn't have to think too long on that. And yet all of us know as well that our hearts, as Katie shared with us, are also broken. And when we say that, we don't just mean sad like, brokenhearted after a high school breakup, but actually broken in the sense of being damaged irreparably by sin. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, Jeremiah asks. Well, God can. God can understand it. He understands the condition of the human heart and he knows that our hearts 
need fixing. And this is ultimately something that only God can do, that only he can fix. And you might be wondering, even as Katie shared with the kids, what does it mean for God to fix the heart? What does that really look like? How can he take something that is sick and failing and make it strong again? And so for about eight weeks, we are asking these kinds of questions and doing so as we open our Bibles and look for answers in, of all places, Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel and this series that we're calling God Will Strengthen. It's not a generally well-known place of Scripture. Some of it is quite hard to understand. But nevertheless, Ezekiel has a lot to say about how God strengthens us. It's the meaning of his very name. His Hebrew name means God will strengthen. And so here we find ourselves in the book of Ezekiel to start the year. And just to jog our memory, or if you've missed some of the Sundays here as we've gotten started, Ezekiel was a prophet and a priest at the same time. One is his calling, another is really his job, his vocation. And yet the people, many of them, were not in Israel. And Ezekiel isn't himself. About 10,000 of them, including Ezekiel, had been marched off to exile, forced resettlement to live in a foreign land. The Babylonians ruled over them at the time that Ezekiel was writing. They had destroyed their city of Jerusalem. They had burned down the temple. So now Ezekiel and many of his fellow citizens were a long ways away from home. They're essentially the human property of their conquerors. And they are not in a good stretch of life. They're not very good prospects. And then you could add one more thing on top of all that. They were, as a people, not just physically far from home, but actually spiritually far from God. That's what had gotten them into exile to begin with. Their hearts were bent away from God, running away from God. And they're feeling the pain of that decision. They are weak and discouraged and in need of strengthening. And along comes Ezekiel. Ezekiel, we're asking, how is it that God is going to fix this situation? How will he strengthen us? And you might be asking very personally this morning, how will he strengthen me? And so we have seen Ezekiel answering that question. Each week we've added something new to that list. In week one, he strengthens us through the Holy Spirit and his word. Week number two, it was he strengthens us through repentance, through turning away from sin and coming back to God. Last week, he strengthens us through his shepherding. And today, we're going to see how God strengthens us through a heart transplant and spiritual CPR, a new heart and a new spirit. Before we get to that part of the passage, though, that comes a little bit later, we have to follow really the whole movement of these verses. And I want to remind you that Ezekiel holds up two things throughout the book and in this passage side by side, and that is judgment and hope. And you know how good hope is if you know how heavy judgment feels. And we see that in this very passage. God's judgment against sin, and then this word of life, his announcement of hope. And so here's the bad news. That's where it begins. Here's our reality. God is saying, in summary, you have profaned my name. And we'll read a little bit from verse 22. It is not for your sake, he says, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things. 
but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned. What does it mean for something to be profane? We might only really know that word from the term profane language. You know, a movie gets a PG-13 rating if it has too much profane language. That's one usage. But what does the word mean in general? It helps to define it by thinking about its opposite. The opposite of profane is... Any guesses you want to throw out? Holy. I heard holy up here. Sacred is the opposite of profane. Esther and I thought it was so cool when we found out the meaning of our nine-month-old's name in Latin is sacred or holy. So you get the idea. We have these two opposites of sacred and profane. And God is saying, you have not kept my name holy. You have profaned it. And I bet you know the difference between these two things just by thinking about the dishes in your cupboard. I bet you have profane dishes and sacred dishes. And I brought along a couple examples. One is an everyday, ordinary Tupperware cup. Okay? This gets used at any mealtime, any purpose. Right? If I drop it, no big deal. Right? But how about this one? Now this is a teacup that had been in my grandmother's kitchen reserved for very special purposes for decades. And it's now in my house. Do you think we use this very often? No, they're answering for me. And if I were to drop this one, it would break. It would break into many, many pieces. So you get this sense of what is sacred and what is profane. Now with that clearly understood, let's talk about the second part of this because there's one other thing that might be confusing and that is this bit about God's name. What does it mean when we run into this, certainly in Ezekiel, but all over Scripture, it's going to talk about God's name. Let me give an example from the Psalms. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved, says the psalmist. Well, What do we mean by God's name, and how do you run into a name? God's name is, when you run into that in the Bible, you want to think this is a way of saying the core of who God is, who he is, his character, his reputation. That's what it means when we run into the name of the Lord. And you'll see in a lot of places of Scripture, I'll give you some examples. The Ten Commandments. One of the commandments is, you shall not take the... Name of the Lord your God in vain. Another example, the Lord's Prayer. These are big passages in Scripture. The disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what does he say? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The opposite of profaned. It's to be hallowed or kept holy. And then one more example. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. In in the Gospel of John, you get to chapter 12, And Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus says, no, it is for this very reason I came to this hour. Verse 28 of John 12. Father, glorify your name. But what's happened during Ezekiel's time? God's name, who he is, his character, his reputation has been dragged through the mud by his people. They exist 
to glorify his name, to tell the nations about him, about this awesome God who made them and keeps his promises. But for generations, that hasn't happened. And so our passage starts with God saying, you have profaned my name, but now for the sake of my name, I'm going to do these things, it says. And the these things that he's referring to is the restoration of his people. Do some of you have something in your home that has been restored? A piece of furniture that is decades, generations old that has been restored. At our house, we have an old rocking chair that I was rocked in as a baby. And then a number of years ago, as my sister and I were married and expecting kids, my parents took this old rocking chair and the wood was all worn and and it lacked all of its shine and luster, and, and the upholstery was terrible. You know, you could see the stains and the, the threads worn through. And they took it for us and restored it. And so now I get to sit in that rocking chair that looks good as new and rock their grandkids. And I'm sure you could tell those stories of something in your home that has been restored. In Ezekiel, God is not waiting around anymore for the people to restore themselves. They've proven they can't. So God will step in and restore what only he can. And the summary of these first couple verses is that God will uphold his name as holy so the world will know he is God. I've gotten to know a guy this last year or so who relocated to the Twin Cities. And prior to this in his career, he worked for McDonald's in their corporate office. He was in the field of HR. So that's what he did for McDonald's. And as he told me about his working life, he really credits that season of his career with McDonald's for teaching him about the value of culture. The culture of a workplace. And he said that McDonald's knew the importance of, in his words, protecting the golden arches. That's why the movie Super Size Me was so devastating. And McDonald's has been working to build back their reputation ever since. Because they know what people think about them as a company matters. The perception of their own team members, their staff, and their customers matters. And we could all name companies that we know from the news or or maybe that we've worked with that have fallen from grace. Enron, Lehman Brothers, the one I shared about last week, Theranos. When we think about the name of God, we are in a whole other category than simply the reputation of a company. Of all things, it's God's name on this earth that should be upheld by his people. But in the absence of that, God will do it himself. And notice this, he will still do it through his people. That is still the means by which it's accomplished. He is going to restore his people for the glory of his name. And here's how. We're going to make our way now quickly through some of these verses. You're going to see three things, three ways that God goes about this restoration project. Number one, God will bring his people home. Verse 24. You could follow along if you have it in front of you. For I will take you out of the nations. 
I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. In short, God's going to bring his people home. Remember where they are as Ezekiel gives this message. They're a thousand miles from home in exile and they were homesick. I was not in exile by any means, but I did have the chance for a few years to live overseas. And I loved it, but I remember very distinctly this one night that homesickness hit like a tidal wave. And there is nothing that feels quite like homesickness. There I was laying in my bed in my apartment flat in Gießen, Germany, just north of Frankfurt, 20 years old, and I'm sniffling like a baby in my bed because I miss home. Of course, I miss my mom and dad, but I also missed things like sitting in a boat with a fishing pole. When you're thousands of miles away from here, you, you miss that stuff. I missed baseball fields and football games. I missed my grandma's scotcheroo bars. And there I was crying in my bed. I wonder what the people of Israel missed. Their list would look a little different. I bet they thought of the mountains that surround Jerusalem. I bet they missed the rushing water of the Jordan River, that famous landmark in their country. I bet they missed the sights and sounds of the temple, which not only they were away from, but had actually been destroyed. And God says to his people, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to bring you back home. That's the first way he'll restore them. The second thing God will do, number two, God will clean his people up. And we look to verse 25. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And as foreign as maybe some of that might sound, the big word like impurities and something like idols, the idea of water to clean something up, for you or I to have a bath or a shower is as natural a picture that you can have. For Ezekiel as a priest, he knew what it meant to literally sprinkle people with water as a symbol of forgiveness. And in some Orthodox church services, still in parts of the world, they will dip these branches in water and literally sprinkle the worship attendees with water, symbolizing forgiveness. In the church, we know this picture from baptism, don't we? Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. We're thinking about how the heart is getting fixed and restored. And with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. We see it in baptism. One of the facts of life that Israel has to come to grips with is that they are indeed sinful and stuck in the mud before God. They need a bath. A few days ago, a story caught my attention in the news, and that was a story about the Baseball Hall of Fame and the new inductees for 2022. It's a process that's done by voting, and you have to get at least 75% of the votes to get into the Hall of Fame. And the election this year was notable because of who didn't get elected in their 10th and final year of eligibility. So you can be on the ballot for 10 years, but then it's done, and you slide off. Do you know who these two guys are? On the left is 
Barry Bonds. And on the right, Roger Clemens. You probably have to be a certain age to know these baseball players. But if you've been around, you know baseball, you know these names are huge. These are well-known names. You would just assume that these two icons would be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but they're not. They never, across 10 years, never got enough votes. And why not? Performance-enhancing drugs. Barry Bonds could hit the ball a country mile. Roger Clemens had that devastating splitter. But they did it through the use of steroids. So they never got enough votes to go to Cooperstown. Their names and careers are considered dirty. And maybe you know the shame of sin as well. The Bible says, actually, we all do. Some of us may have a keener awareness of it. But we all have to come to grips with the fact that we're in need of a bath. That we are sinful and stuck in the mud without God. And it is ultimately only something that God can do. You can't clean yourself up. He is the restorer of broken people. He brings you home, Ezekiel says. He cleans you up. And then thirdly, Ezekiel adds this to the list. Number three, God will give his people a new heart and spirit so we can keep his commands. Verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I happen to know a heart transplant patient. Maybe you do too across your extended family or friend network. I know a heart transplant patient, a heart transplant survivor. He's my best friend's dad. His name is Bill. And for me growing up, I always knew Bill as an energetic guy who ran every day. He was a distance runner. He was a businessman who traveled all over the place in chemical sales. And then out of nowhere, his heart got sick. And it was never going to recover. His life changed overnight and Bill, my best friend's dad, could barely get up the steps without having to sit down. He was so winded. And so his heart was so sick that if he didn't get it fixed, he was not going to make it. He went on the transplant list. And then the day finally came when a heart was available for him. It was a match. And so he went into surgery down at Mayo. And I remember this so well because I'll never forget the chance that we had. I was there with my parents to go see Bill just, I think, a couple days after the transplant. We couldn't go into the room to see him because a patient, after that kind of transplant, they're protecting from illness or any germs possibly getting to him. But we could see him behind the glass and they've got him on this exercise bike. And so we got to walk by the window and I remember him looking up at us as he's moving the pedals and a big grin on his face and he gives us the thumbs up through the glass. The Bible says that you and I need a heart transplant. That the heart that we've got without God is sinful and broken and actually dead. It's a heart of stone. It says, and it needs to be removed. 
and replaced with a heart that is soft and warm, a heart that actually pumps spiritual life through your body. And the word for this spiritual surgery is regeneration. It's a big word. I know it's a big one. But regeneration is a secret act of God by which he imparts new spiritual life to dead hearts. And what that means when it says it's a secret act is that God is at work in the hidden places of your heart. That's where he's at work and he is making it brand new. The Bible calls this being born again. And some years ago, I think being born again kind of got picked up by news stories and just has been used culturally. But let's define it biblically. I know that some of our Y groups have gone through The Chosen, the the mini-series about Jesus' life. And one of the most memorable scenes, I think, is the one where Jesus meets with Nicodemus. And it is that conversation where Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You need a new heart and a new spirit. Verse 7, and I will put my spirit in you. My ruach is the Hebrew word. My breath. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. More than any other prophet, as I was preparing for our series in Ezekiel, I just kept seeing this again and again. And it's the truth. More than any other prophet in the Bible, Ezekiel emphasizes the Holy Spirit's role in regeneration in bringing us back to life. The spiritual CPR that resuscitates us from sin and death. Really, this theme I want to save for next week. We're going to go into Ezekiel 37 next week. Probably the most famous passage in Ezekiel, the Valley of Dry Bones. So come back next week for more on the Holy Spirit. But for today, I just want to show us here in the closing minutes of our message, the last verse and really the the climax where all of this leads to, we've just seen now the three ways that God will restore his people. And then we get to verse 28. God will do this. He will do all of these things so we can be at home with him forever. The verse reads, then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You'll come home. You will be my people and I will be your God. So you don't just get to go home, he's saying, but you get to go home to be with God, to be with him forever, what you were made for. I don't suppose that some of you have seen the movie Encanto. Has anybody here seen that movie? Kids? We've seen it just a few times at our house. And I was thinking, um, watching that movie for the thousandth time. No, actually, most of it was at Grandpa and Grandma's. I was thinking, how does that movie end? There's really not a villain in this movie, is there? The problem in this movie and and what gets fixed in the end is what? Broken relationships and a broken house. Broken relationships. I mean, they're all broken amongst these family members, but especially the one We don't talk about Bruno. And who is restored to the family at the end of the movie? 
Bruno. In the house that has been falling apart as the magic fades throughout the movie, the very house is rebuilt and restored. And so the big idea of the passage is that God gives us a new heart and the Holy Spirit so that we can live by his ways and be at home with him forever. And today, just as a, a, a take-home idea to try, maybe you're going to settle in for, it's Championship Sunday, so maybe you got that dialed in. You're going to watch some football today. But I want to invite you, when you get home, to look around the walls of your house, your apartment, your townhome, and just to remind yourself, maybe even to say out loud, I will not always live here. This is not permanent. Even if the mortgage is paid and you have lived there for decades, remind yourself, I will not always live here. But I am going to what God has called me to for all eternity. His home and his family. Are you ready to receive that? You ready for a new heart? Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you in prayer now. All ages in this room, even our kids who are with us at the tables. And we thank you, Lord, that you did not give up on your master plan. But Lord, you promise if we're ready to receive it, to come in and give us a new heart. A heart that beats for you. A heart that has love welling up in it. And a heart, Lord, that is ready for our eternal home. I pray, Lord, around these tables that you would speak to us right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Maybe there are some of us, Lord, we have not yet said yes to that gift. Maybe even as kids. We're here with the the grown-ups. We have heard your word. We hear you speaking our name, Lord, and we would like to say yes to you. Lord, please give us a new heart. Forgive us of our sin and replace it with your righteousness. Lord, what a good gift. I pray that you'd go before us into every challenge and obstacle of this week and that it would all be overcome as we cling to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.